Hey, this is Pastor Mark, and before we get into our message, I want to take a moment and let you know about a special season happening at Anchor Faith Church right now. It's our stretch season. This is our opportunity to look back on the year God has blessed us with, but also a time of anticipation for what is yet to come. We believe what God has called us to requires us to stretch our faith in ways we've never seen before. In fact, on December 8th, our church will be stretching our faith together in the area of finance by giving a one-time gift above and beyond our regular giving. These resources go directly to continuing to do what God has called us to do by igniting the city, impacting the nation, and influencing the world. I'm inviting you to participate with us by giving financially and stretching your faith. You can give online by visiting anchorfaithaboutosta.com. Your gifts are greatly appreciated, and we believe your faith will be increased as you act in obedience. Thank you for partnering with this move of God, and we agree with you that your best is yet to come. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. I've actually kind of taught this before in a kind of a different variation, um, but I feel in line with our stretch season that we're in right now, as well as closing out this year, that it just... Uh, kind of stood out to me. So believe in one, uh, that we can uh, hear something we've heard before. Amen. Uh, if you recall that we started this year out uh, with the understanding that God's reminders are just as important as God's revelation. When God's trying to remind you of something, it shouldn't be carried with any less weight or value than when he first revealed it to you. We must always treat the word of God however many times we've seen that, heard that, been around that, given attention to that, that we give weight and value to it because could it be that God wants to show you another angle, another perspective, another side, amen? So we need to treat his reminders with the same weight and value as we do his initial revelation. So Mark chapter four, verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how for the earth yields crops by itself, by itself, all by itself. It doesn't need your help. The earth doesn't need your help to produce, but it does need you to sow into it. So the earth yields a crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle. He doesn't wait, he doesn't tarry. Immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. I believe I have this for you in the New Living. I wanna read it to you out of the New Living, verse starting back with verse 26. Uh, Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day. While he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. You know, God doesn't call you to understand, he calls you to believe. And sometimes we confuse the two. Sometimes we think believing is understanding. I'll tell you right now, believing begins where understanding ends. Believing begins where understanding ends, meaning that if I have to know all the intricacies and I have to be able to explain the ifs and the hows and the whys and the whats, then I'm not really believing, believing by faith. Faith means that there's a component that's unknown. 
There's an element of this thing that I haven't figured out, yet I still believe. I want to be, I don't want to be like the doubting Thomas, the disciple that said, well, I'm going to have to see the holes in his hands and the piercing in his side and the holes, the nail holes in his feet. But Jesus said to the other disciples, what do you say? But blessed are those that believe, but do not see. You know, the world tells us, I'll believe it when I see it. But I think the kingdom says, you'll see it when you believe it. Which comes first. I believe the believing comes first. I don't have to have it all figured out. I'm going to be, I'm going to step out on the water by a command of a word. Amen. And I'm not standing out. I'm not standing on water. I'm not walking on water. I'm walking on his word. His word's what's keeping me up. His word's what's sustaining. It's not the circumstance, the predicament, the environment, the situation that determines my ability to press on and do what God's called me to do. It's his word. It's amazing the trust and the dependence and the reliance that we'll put in things, but then when it comes to the word, we'll question it. It's kind of like hurricane season, right? I can tell you by his stripes, you are healed. Oh, pastor, I don't know about that. But the second the meteorologist predicts a hurricane coming, you're buying up all the water, you're boarding up the windows. We're making prep. Yeah, Home Depot's running out of stuff. Publix can't keep enough water. And they said two cases per person. There you are with four cases in your buggy. What are you doing? But if we treated the word of God the same way we treat the meteorologist, if we treat the word of God with some dependence and reliance and some weight and some uh, sustenance, it's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. It's my daily bread. I have to have it to survive. I cannot live without it. His word is greater. His word is stronger. We just sang a song. I will not be moved. I don't have to be moved by anything when I know his word. When I'm grounded, fixed, stayed on his word, I don't have to be moved. And so um, we have to understand that, that there are situations and there are things that may come to try to move us and try to get us off of the word of God, but his word has to remain final. Here's what I want to pull to you, uh, bring to you and pull out of this passage, three fields where potential dies. Three fields where potential dies. I believe that whatever you sow into is what you'll reap. But here's what I want you to understand. I want you to come from the field angle, not just the seed. We've talked about this before. The seed is representative of potential, right? As long as we treat it for what it is, we'll never see what it can be. As long as you treat it like a seed, you'll never see a tree. But a farmer sees a seed different than most people. They see something, they, they're, they're, they see capacity, they see potential, they see vision, they see what it can be, they see what it will be, they see what it's gonna produce. And so you've got to see the seed for more than just what's in your hand. And as long as you treat it like a seed, you'll never see what it can do. We miss that. But what we also have to understand is there is a, prepping, a preparation of the field that the seed goes into because here's what we understand about seeds. Seeds are dependent upon environment. Seeds are dependent upon environment. Very simple. Right? A seed in my hand doesn't produce the same thing that a seed in the ground does, does it? 
You might remember um, the parable of the talents, and you had uh, a master that went to a faraway land, and he gave three different servants uh, a measure of talents before he left according to their own ability. And the first one he gave five talents, and the second one he gave two talents, and the third one he gave one talent. And the five went, traded, he gained five more, ended up with 10 total, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little, now you be made ruler over much. He gives uh, the, the one that had two, goes, traded, got, gained two more on that, uh, ended up with four, comes back to the master. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with little, now you'll be made ruler over much. Then there was the one that had the one talent. Now, if the one with the one talent had performed the same action as the one with the two and the one with the five, what would he have gained? One additional talent. He would have come back to the master with two talents and the master would have said, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you, you didn't, I'm not uh, saying that you have to produce four or you have to produce 10. I'm only looking for you to double what I gave you because that's the, the capacity But what did he do? It was dependent upon where he put it. It said that he took the one talent, and what did he do? Buried it. Put it in the ground. What determined the success of the harvest? The environment. If you don't put it in the right environment, you cannot expect the same result. Right? Man, I'm, I'm thankful that there's potential inside of me. I'm thankful that, 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 that God can do great things with my life, more than I even know, more than I've even seen. But if I don't put the seed in the right environment, I'm compromising its growth. I'm, com- I'm compromising its development. I'm not putting it in a position that's conducive for it to develop and do what it's supposed to do. We know the parable of the sower. Four different cases, same seed, Same sower. Nothing wrong with the sower, nothing wrong with the seed. Am I right? What was the the condition that changed in each of the four cases? The soil, the environment. I put it in uh, uh, on stony ground, can't produce, can't even get into the ground. Put it in ground uh, that it goes down, but then it gets choked out by thorns and, 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 and things like that. Not going to produce. Put it in the ground, but it withers away after a while. Not going to produce. But if I put it in what? Good soil. The differing factor in each of the four scenarios was the ground, the soil, the environment. And so there are some environments, guys, that even if we receive seed, we'll kill it. We'll destroy it. We'll rob it of its potential will compromise its development, not because the seed isn't any good. You know how many times we uproot stuff because we think the seed was bad, but it wasn't the seed, it was the environment we put it in? We do. We'll uproot ourselves. I mean, that's just kind of the, 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 the day and age that we live in that we'll, we'll, we'll typically uh, blame what's around us before we blame what's in us. <laughs> We, 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 we tend to look at everything else before we'll finally look inward and say, you know what, maybe I'm the reason why I'm not getting the promotion. Maybe I'm the reason why they're not treating me that way. Maybe I'm the reason why I'm not getting the response I'm looking for. Maybe I'm the reason. Sometimes you gotta look inward and say, what's the environment that I'm, what's the environment I'm fostering here 
And you know what? Because at the end of the day, I'm only responsible for one environment. This one. Right here. And then seeds can start to flourish and they can develop and they grow. And, and, and so, you know, we want a change of scenery, but what we need is a change of soil. They don't need a change of scenery. And then this is what's cool. It doesn't matter what storm comes, what challenge comes, what circumstance comes. I've watched people thrive in horrendous circumstances because of what was in them. And I've watched people with amazing potential on the inside absolutely destroy themselves because they won't take caution to the environment that that is being surrounded. So there are, there's three fields where potential dies, three fields where seed will die. Number one, the seed of potential will not grow in the field of comfort. The seed of potential will not grow in the field of comfort. One of the greatest challenges and charges that we find in the word of God is this, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and very courageous. I mean, that, that's, that's in the Bible. I, I, I can't remember how many times it is, but it's, it's in there a lot. You think God's trying to get something across to us. You think he's trying to help us understand that the, the times we're living in and the, and the, the mission that God has for you, uh, uh, it's gonna demand some courage, some strength, some fortitude, some resilience, some endurance, some perseverance, right? And so, you know, our culture today, we will spend a lot of money and a lot of effort and give a lot of resource and a lot of time for comfort, to be comfortable. I mean, there are literally people that have two homes, so they can always be in a climate that's comfortable. Yeah. When I, when I uh, lived in Florida, I worked at a bank. And so we had individuals that we only saw in Florida from about October through about March. They're Floridians. Well, that doesn't sound like a Floridian accent. You got there? Oh, I'm from Long Island. I'm from Pennsylvania, from New Hampshire, from Vermont. Well, what are you doing down here? Ah, it's too cold up there. I don't like to shovel snow. Well, why don't you just move? Well, no, because then down here it's too hot and humid, but up there, you know, the weather's pretty nice up there. So I, I, I just got two places. That must be nice. It's amazing the lengths that we'll go to to sustain comfort. Now, I'm thankful we have the Holy Spirit and he is our comforter. And the Bible promises that we will be comforted, but Jesus does not promise that we'll be comfortable. There's a difference between being comforted and comfortable. Comforted means I'm at comfort. I'm in a position of comfort, even in the midst of a challenging circumstance but I'm gonna have to be strong. I'm gonna have to be of good courage. Joshua chapter one, you know, is one of the famous passages where we see this spoken of. Uh, Joshua chapter one. It's a time of transition, just like we're at a time of transition right now, going from 2019 to 20. But man, I don't wanna go into a new, going into a new season, right? But man, I don't wanna go into a new season, old ways of doing things, Right? 
I want to get it all changed. I want to get, I want to go ahead and adjust it, shift it all. Let's move it over. And so uh, this is a season of transition, a season of change going from Moses now to Joshua and God's words to Joshua here in uh, Joshua chapter one and verse six, be strong and of good courage. For to this people, you shall divide as an inheritance the land, which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse seven, only be strong and very courageous. He stepped it up, very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to, uh, from it to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. We want the prosperous, we want the success, but that's followed with verse nine. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Now, I mean, you just told me how to be prosperous and how to be successful. Why do you keep encouraging me to be courageous? Apparently, courage is the prerequisite for prospering and being successful. I'm gonna need to have some some, uh, courage to stand up against what is in my way. But he's reminding us, you're fighting from victory, not for victory. I've already given you the land. I'm just sending you in to take it. That's what I'm sending you in to do. Not, I'm not sending you in to negotiate. I'm not sending you in to determine. I'm not sending you in to, to figure out if this is really where you wanna be. I'm sending you in to go in and take the land from your enemies, my enemies. You're doing my work. So he's saying you gotta be very courageous. But man, that's one of the first things that rises up when a seed gets planted, when, 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 when potential is, is realized, when potential is discovered. Immediately, it seems like the scenarios and the circumstances around us begin to challenge that and begin to want us to move into a place of comfort, comfort. And, and, and we've even seen this before, that you can get comfortable with anything. It's amazing what people can get comfortable with. Dangerous way to live is when you become comfortable with, God, with what God never desired for you to settle in. They got comfortable in the wilderness I'll go even a step further. They got comfortable as slaves. They were comfortable. Well, at least in Egypt, we had three square meals a day. All of a sudden, the pain of Egypt was overshadowed by the comfort of having, of knowing where food was coming from. Being in a wilderness where you had to trust God bring water out of a rock made them want to go back. It's amazing what we'll become comfortable with. It really is. And you settle. And then you even go a step further. Then you begin to fight for your comfort. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen with people in their marriages. I've seen it happen with people in their finances. You don't know the battle that you're about to entail to get the victory that you know is yours. It's already your victory. 
you're your own worst enemy. You don't have to, you don't have to fight them. You've got to fight yourself. You got to fight your want to. You got to fight your comfort levels. God is always trying to bring us out beyond our comfort zones. And potential is never realized in comfort zones. It never is. You can have potential or you can have comfort, but you can't have both. You can't have both. You can't. You want potential to come out? Get ready to be placed into an environment, a situation, a circumstance that's going to push against all the comfort in your life. You'll wake up earlier. You'll stay up later. You'll say things you never said. You'll do things you've never done. All to see the potential come out, to see the seed developed. And notice that God doesn't call you to feel ready. He calls you to get ready. Amen? He doesn't call you to feel ready. He never said, I want you to feel courageous. I said, be courageous. Even when you don't feel like it, be it. Be courageous. Be very courageous. Well, I don't feel courageous, God. I don't care. <laughs> be. I'm not ready, God. Good. You're right where I need you. If you're waiting to feel ready, you'll, you'll, you'll never discover potential. You'll never find out what's on the inside. Okay? Seed of potential will never grow in the field of comfort. Number two, the seed of potential will not grow in the field of convenience. The seed of potential will not grow in the field of convenience. And convenience is another uh, uh, interesting element of our lives. You know, we even have things called convenience stores. <laughs> it's convenient. It gives me all the necessary products I need without having to walk past all the stuff I don't, right? Like, what are, you, what are you getting when you go to Target? I don't know. Target will tell me when I get there, right? <laughs> you go to the gas station with one thing on your mind, Dr. Pepper, milk, Fritos, or whatever. Like that, it's in and out. It's convenience. It's there to... to Convenience always speaks to your preference. But it's amazing how many times God will override our preference to get to our purpose, to get to our potential. He'll blow right past it. You know, God's always moving us in new seasons. And, you know, I'll be honest that, you know, the greatest asset to any pastor and the greatest asset to any local church are those that say, what can I do? That's the greatest asset. God's gifted you. God's put, a, put something in, inside you. The Bible says that he places us in the body as it pleases him. That there is an assignment. There is a role. There is a capacity that God wants to draw out of you. But, but, the, the, the greatest asset to, to doing this type of local ministry, and it goes for other organizations too, but I know local church. I know what it is to plant a church and to, to grow a church, at least to the capacity that we've seen in eight years. And the greatest asset to us is someone that says, where, where do you need help? The ones that can tend to be a hindrance are the ones that wanna tell us everything they've done before. 
And not that that's bad, not that that's wrong. But what we do is we then block ourselves in a place where God's used us before because of comfort, but also because of preference. Because I may have a great need with our children's ministry, but you're only interested in singing. And so then it's not about meeting the need. It's about meeting my preference. Well, this is where I'd prefer to be. I'm just using that as an example. There's, there's many examples. Well, what if we had a need where it was somewhere that maybe you've never served before, never done before, never allowed God to use you in that capacity? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a need. At the end of the day, it's ministry. At the end of the day, you're meeting a need. You're blessing someone. You're, you, you are meeting a need through the local church. And many times God will, in a new season, do something in, to do something in you you've never seen, you're gonna have to do something you've never done. But if our preference or our convenience is the leading force and drive in what we think God can do with us and through us and for us, then we're greatly restricting where God can use us. I wanna go to God not with my convenience, not with my preference, not with what I know I can do. And again, we, we, we don't wanna be inconvenienced. We don't wanna be put in a situation where we don't know what we're doing or I've never done that before. Or, but that's where God really uses you. That's where God really draws stuff out of you. That's where God, see, a, a seed of potential dies where preference is number one. Because then God is meeting your need rather than you helping meet God's need. You see the difference? You know, the seed isn't for you. The seed isn't for the soil. The seed isn't for uh, uh, the ground. The seed is for those that once it's developed, it's bearing fruit and others can come and receive that fruit. The fruit's not for us. We're giving away fruit. We're being a blessing to someone else. In the midst of this potential, being pulled out. If we can't be inconvenienced, I, I think it's fair to say that we can't be used. I think it's fair to say. If God has to always meet our calendar, our schedule, our time frames, our, our situations, our preferences, our ideas, then I don't know that we'll ever see what God has really placed within us. When's the last time we've told God, God, whatever you tell me to do? At work, I'll talk to whoever you tell me to talk to. I'll say whatever you tell me to say. You know, even Jesus had to do that. You know, even Jesus was inconvenienced. The woman at the well was an inconvenience. Yeah, the son of God, the son of man, wasn't there to minister. He was there because he was hungry and he's tired and his uh, disciples had gone into town to get him food. They're gonna run through the drive-thru. They're gonna pick up something, get him. I don't wanna see anybody. I don't wanna talk to anybody. I'm gonna stay out here. And here comes this woman. 
He ends up being a blessing in her life, ends up speaking into her life. Then she runs into the town and she says, guys, you got to meet this man that I've met. You, he, told me everything that, uh, he told me everything about my life. Ended up being a blessing to others. Even Jesus had moments where his preference wasn't met. He even told the father in a garden, this is not my will. This is not what I want. This is not what I would desire. If there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. What did he tell the disciples? You know, he, you know, he called the disciples two times. The first time he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The second time he said, take up your cross and follow me. I thought we already did that. Oh, you have no idea. See, Jesus came to the earth being sent by the Father. But then in that garden, the garden is where he took up his cross. The garden is where he laid down his will. The garden, see, until we lay down our will, we cannot take up his. Until I lay down my agenda, my plans, many are the plans in a man's heart but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Man, I've got ideas, I've got agendas, I've got timelines, timelines. I remember that we were, uh, I think we'd only been here probably three years and I had a, a friend of mine in Texas asked me uh, to come minister for him and uh, went, went out there and, and he asked the question, he uh, you know, we're, we're just talking about ministry. And he said, well, how long do you think you'll be in Valdosta? And I said, honestly, I don't even ask that question. Because the longer I'm there, the longer I feel I'm gonna be there. <laughs> you know, number one. But number two, I don't put timelines. I don't put time frames. I could be here till I'm 85. I could be here till next week. I don't know. That's not for me to know. That's not for me to decide. Right, we've said that before. Purpose isn't decided, it's discovered. I'm just discovering the will of God for my life, but I'm sure not trying to decide it. I decide I'm gonna answer the call. No, you did it. You're discovering what God wants to do in your life. You're, you're, you're gonna choose to take the step by step, but you don't know what you're answering when you first say yes. You don't know what you're, they didn't know what they were answering when he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. They had no idea. You think that has anything with us being fishermen? You think he's just making a play on words? I don't know what he's talking about. Then finally they figure out he's giving up his life. And for us to follow in his footsteps, it may require our lives as well. But convenience, preference, it can't be the motivating factors in our lives. Potential dies there. If God has to always meet your need, you can't ever meet his. And I know we don't talk about that a lot. God has needs. God desires that not one perish, no, not one. And guess what? If you're waiting for God to come down to this earth and start working on his purpose and his plan, you'll be waiting a long time because while we're waiting for a move of God, guess what? God's waiting for a move of man. He's commissioned us. He's sent us. He's appointed us. 
He's called us. Who's us? The local church, the church, the body of Christ, his people, royal priesthood, holy nation, chosen people. That's you and I. We've got work to do. I love about King David that King David was a representation of God moving past people that had their own plan. The first king that we saw of Israel was King Saul. And King Saul was more interested in his will than God's will. King Saul was more interested in his preference than God's preference, than God's plan. King Saul only had one agenda, getting his will accomplished. And so the reason he was removed from being king and removed from authority is because he couldn't submit to God's authority. I tell you right now, what you're willing to leave behind says a lot about where you're planning to go. What you're willing to lay down says a lot about what you're willing to take up. The first step to walking into the plan of God is leaving yours behind. And King Saul wasn't willing to do that. But David, on the other hand, David was a man after God's own heart. David laid aside his preference. David laid aside his plans. David laid aside his agenda. And so what happens is, is we begin to, uh, through convenience and, and, and preference, when those things are motivating factors in our lives, um, we miss significant moments. We miss significance. What God sees as significant, we rarely see as significant. What God sees as impressive, most of the time we would miss out on. I know this in my own life, and I've said this before, that when I look back in my life, many of my most significant moments were insignificant in the moment. I've said that before, but what I mean by that is I could have easily have said no. I could have easily missed out because it didn't come with angels in my room. It didn't come with a booming voice from the, you know, the clouds parting and angels coming down and, and, and all the pyrotechnics or whatever else that you think you need to, for God to get your attention. It was a small little whisper. It was a small little, and I'll be honest, sometimes it came through people that I would have easily disregarded or discarded. It's amazing the things, the moments, the opportunities, and the people that God will use to get your attention. And so if you're looking for convenience and preference, you'll often miss out on what is actually important to God. And so what's the answer? My will becomes his will. My will becomes his will. What do you want? That's what I want. My life is about aligning my agenda with his. My life is about aligning my plan with his. My day-to-day decisions and choices, and I'm not perfect in that, but the goal is, what do you want in this moment? What do you want in this season? What do you want in this situation? So it's very important that we recognize that our convenience, our preference will cause potential to die until we can take up his will. Number three, the seed of potential 
we've seen will die in a field of comfort, will die in a field of convenience. And this one's so important. The seed of potential will not grow in the field of condemnation. This may be the most important one. The seed of potential will not grow in the field of condemnation. Now, condemnation does not come to unbelievers. Condemnation is not reality, it's a perception. And this is what believers, Christians, need to understand. I see far too many believers with a loss of purpose and a loss of potential in their lives because they will not address the perception of who they were. Therefore, they'll never see the purpose of who they can become. They won't address not a reality, a false identity that the enemy wants to blind people with. And it's called condemnation. Condemnation is carrying a label and a limitation that is no longer yours. That's what condemnation is. And when you come into the kingdom of God, you cannot be any more born again than you are the day you hand your life over to him. Spiritually speaking, the inner man, the spirit being, who you really are, by the way, because what you see on the outside is not really you. This is flesh. This stuff's gonna decay. This stuff will deteriorate. This stuff will be dismissed, but your spirit being will live on forever. And condemnation robs believers, robs Christians, robs saints, citizens, and children, royalty. It literally strips them of their identity. That's what condemnation is. Condemnation is walking in something that has been removed. It's carrying a weight that God has said, give it to me. Potential will never grow where condemnation is allowed, where condemnation is tolerated, where condemnation is held onto. It can't happen. Potential dies in condemnation. Condemnation is not who you really are. It's who you think you are. Condemnation is not who you really are. It's who you think you are. It's who the enemy has lied to you about. The enemy, he is, he is a masterful art of deception, artist of deception. He has mastered the art of deception. He is here to deceive, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he will do. The enemy cannot make you an unbeliever. The enemy cannot do anything to you to strip you of your royalty, of your God likeness, but he can rob you of your God consciousness. You see the difference? God likeness is who I am, but God consciousness is my awareness or my recognition of that. And so what's the answer? Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. I offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. And I'm renewed 
I'm renewing my mind. But in by renewing my thinking, I'm changing my life. I cannot change my life until I change how I think. I cannot change my actions, my behavior, my patterns, my habits, who I am. I, I, I cannot change how I reveal or reflect until I renew my mind. The outside doesn't change until the inside. I love what one minister said. He said, the Holy Spirit's job is he is to introduce the old you to the new you. But some of us are so busy informing the new us of the old us that the old us never learns of the new us. We just want to keep talking. You know, sometimes I think the devil sits back and watches us beat ourselves up with guilt and shame and condemnation. And he says, go right ahead. I don't even need to say anything. In fact, you're giving me some good material. I'll use that later on. Hello. You know, the enemy knows more about you than you do. He knows more about your potential than you do. He wants that potential to die. He wants you to sow that potential, that seed into a field where it will be choked out, extinguished. The potential will never be realized, never be discovered. And where potential isn't discovered, purpose isn't revealed. I'll never, I'll never reveal purpose where I don't first understand potential. And so condemnation is his, is his trick. Convenience and comfort, those are ours. Condemnation is his. But the Bible tells us that there is, therefore, now, no condemnation. You cannot move a believer into their inheritance, into their rights, into their privileges, into what, is, uh, uh, what belongs to them until they come out of condemnation. You'll never possess a promised land if you continue to operate like a slave. Condemnation keeps you dying, circling in a wilderness. Because just because God brought you out of it doesn't mean he can bring you into it. The wilderness is there to make sure the condemnation comes off. The wilderness is there to make sure slaves don't get defeated by the Canaanites. You'll never whip one enemy. You'll never overcome. You'll never see one victory living in condemnation. The guilt, the shame, which is not the reality. It's perception. And so he wants to bog us down in our past sins, our past failures. I put this down. It's not just the shame and guilt from sin, but, the, but it is the overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. Not just the shame and guilt from sin, but the overwhelming feeling of inadequacy. I think that there's hidden ways that the enemy condemns us. Sure, you might even come out and say, you know what, I'm, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. You know, my, my sins have been done away with. I'm gonna be one with him. You know, I, I'm in Christ. I'm, you know, whatever. You might have that identity, but then you might feel like you can't do any more than that. You might feel that you can't become any more than that. And so this, this cycle of condemnation, this, this pit of condemnation will keep you 
stuck. The Israelites did not go into the promised land, not because they weren't delivered from Egypt. They were brought out of Egypt, but God could not get Egypt out of them. And that's the difference. His son died. The blood was shed. The price has been paid. Jesus does not need to come down here and do anything else for your salvation. And like I said on Sunday, you haven't been the one exception to the rule that you've blown it and missed it so bad that God couldn't redeem you. I mean, the catalyst for the church, the modern day church, was a murderer of the church. I mean, how, how much further down do we need to get to understand that what we've done is no uh, 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 measure for what we can be and for what we can do? So why am I consulting my past for my future? Why am I going back here to determine what I can do out there? If God's called you to it, you are able well able and inadequacy and inability. Now, do we need to grow and develop? Do we need to become uh, skilled? Yeah, we, we, you've, you've got to develop even natural abilities to be able to perform what God's called us to do. But God always calls you to do something well before you're able, ready, or even have the resources or skills to do it. He gets all that stuff worked out later. He calls you to be a father of many nations when you're a 75-year-old fatherless man married to a woman that has no ability to bear children. <laughs> he calls you to be a king in a palace when you're still cleaning poop in a pasture. You with me? He calls you to be a catalyst for what we see today as a murderer, literally hanging them, beating them, and killing them. And he says, that's my man. Man, in, inadequacy, it's got to go. Inability, it's got to go. I only consult his word. And if he's given me the assignment, that's all I need. If he's given me the declaration, that's all I need. And I'm not going to allow my seed of potential to die because I feel inadequate. I'm not going to allow my seed of potential to die because I feel like, oh God, I'm, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not big enough. I don't know enough people. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough degrees. I didn't go to that school. I don't know those people. I haven't done this, haven't done that. If he's called me, he's going to resource me. He's going to build me. He's going to put the right people around me. He's going to encourage me. He's going to strengthen me. Amen. This, this is what we've got to understand is there are seeds being planted in our lives all the time. Where are they going? Are the seeds going to you to die or to grow? Sow those seeds in fields where God can grow a harvest because there's a measure for the kingdom. It's going, to come, it's going to come back. It's going to impact someone's life. It's going to change someone's world. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times. 
ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.